Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We want to welcome again all of our campuses and especially those watching in New Iberia, Tabasco Town, USA. How many people love Tabasco? Come on. Until it's on your wife, then you're not real sure about it. Well, welcome to a new series called Championship Relationships. And uh, next week, we're going to have an amazing opportunity. I'm going to be sharing another message. Miss Michelle and I are going to speak today. We do this once a year. But next week, I'm going to be speaking about the greatest gift you can give a loved one for Valentine's. It applies to everyone. It's going to be a powerful message. Be sure that you come and bring other loved ones that you know. I know they'll be challenged, and I know they'll be helped. Well, someone said, if you want to know what God wants to use, all you have to do is look at what the enemy is attacking. Today, there is a greater assault on the family than ever before in history. Why? Because that's what God wants mm. to use. And so I'm fully aware that y'all probably think I am a pretty good preacher. Okay, you just clap for a guy who fell on a ball, okay, and got a ring because of it. I'm preaching the Word of God. There are not many tall Mexicans in the world, period. But God has entrusted you. I think God has called me. Uh, I think I'm a pretty good preacher. Uh, Thank you very much. I love you. You are a lifetime member to this church. Okay. But can I tell you the greatest sermon I've ever preached in my life? In over 45 years of preaching, you're looking at the greatest sermon I will ever preach my entire life. It's this. And this is the most unlikely joining you've ever seen in your life. There is no reason why I should be married to this beautiful princess. None. None. Zero. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe I can say that. I mean, not like that, but I truly mean, yeah. none. None. Uh, no, I, if, if you were to know my story mm. and her story, mm. our stories should never collide. I was raised in the Mexican ghetto of Houston. Sisters pregnant 13, 14, and 15. Worked in a bar my dad was married five times. Each woman he was married to, my mother had been married two or three times. My mom was married two times. The man she married to, my dad had been married seven times. He went to prison for what he did to the grandchildren. I mean, she was raised in the same house next to her grandmother across the street from my other grandmother and grandfather. And her mother still has that house 65 years later. All of her siblings live within three blocks of each other. Why in the world... Should she ever have to be connected to me? Okay. I don't like the way some of y'all said that. But the reason is, is because it doesn't matter how you're raised or what your beginning was. Because everybody here has different beginnings. 
Some are as precious and wonderful as Michelle's families that all live, most of the children, all within three blocks of their mother. We live on the other side of town. <laughs> Let the Lord reveal to you what he wants out of that. But, but there is, regardless of which part of the story you come from, because growing up, I would always look at families like hers and I would feel like the poor kid looking in the store window and you're looking in going, I'd really love to have all of that, but I know I could never, ever, ever afford it. I know it'll never, ever, ever be mine. And that's why I love the grace of God. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. It stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what it means? It means whether you started off at 429 Bellevue in the old historic part of Lafayette or where you started at 7620 Canal in the Paras Lounge owned by Modesta Aranza, that your story is not told by the beginning. It's told by how much you let the grace of God determine so the good. end. So good. So when I came to Lafayette and I was 19 years old to get in Northside High School, they were having a race ride between the blacks and the whites. This is the great reason of why I ended up in Lafayette. My pastor, new pastor of a little church of 150 right next door to this school, Northside. And he said to him, he said, I hear you're having race riots next door. He said, yeah. He said, well, the ray rise between the blacks and the whites. He said, yes. He said, well, I have a spiritual son and he's a Mexican. He can help him. He's not black and he's not white. Now that makes all kinds of sense. And so I came to Lafayette on that, tried to get in the school. They wouldn't let me in. I slept in the couch at the church. And finally, a family took me in that was in the church, and we started a citywide youth group. And one day, a 13-year-old girl with painter pants on and pigtails came walking in. I mean... Nothing happened then. Y'all are looking at me like I'm a pervert. Y'all are sitting there going, you're sick. But that's not where it started. Well, what do, what do you mean? No, okay, so the first time Pastor Jacob saw me and the first time I saw Pastor Jacob, true story, I was 12. And I was at the Hyman oh, Performing Arts. Oh, that sounds worse than and that. And I was at the Hyman Performing Arts Center. My dad was on the board of this family forum. And something we mandated to go to, so I'm on the 50-yard line, second row with my mom and my brothers. And Jacob was there speaking as one of the guest speakers. And when he got off the stage, he walked down, and his, his reserved seat was right in front of me, like where this guy is in red. And he goes to set his satchel down. He turns around to set down. He sees me, and he goes, oh, my gosh, what an adorable little girl you are. <laughs> oh I looked at my brother's. Then you started the youth group off of that meeting. And then I walked in at 13. I was all of 13. So knew what I was doing. Just so y'all know, she wasn't even like a woman then. No. Okay, she was like a tomboy. 100%. But God had a plan. One bigger than I saw. Her family became very close to me. I led both of or most of the children in her family to Christ. Three of the children went into full-time ministry. 
Two of them are pastors, and one of them is a pastor here on staff. Wow. That was over 40 years ago, almost 45 years ago. But God was weaving a plan together, just like he did for you, just like your story. Today, I want to read to you about the first wedding, and then I want to tell you a little bit. We can show a little bit of the journey of ours until we get to what we want to share with you today, which is the five principles of how you can build a relationship that lasts a lifetime. Even if you come from where I came from, it's expected when you come from where she came from, but it's certainly not when you come where I come from. The first wedding God officiated. And it was in Genesis 2.18. And it says, and then the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And so I'll make a helper. Say that with me. A helper. Helper. A helper. Adam didn't need company. He needed help. If you're single, you don't need a date. You need help. (laughs) Who is right for him? So the Lord God formed out of the ground the wild animals all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam chose each name, he named each one of them. And he gave names to all the livestock and all the birds in the sky and to the wild animals. But still there was no helper. Helper. Isn't it amazing? Not company, not a babe, not a chick to make you look good on your arm. A helper. Helper. The way I know someone is good for someone in a relationship is when they start dating, if they don't both start getting better, they're not helping each other. They're hurting each other. If you're single here, God doesn't want to send you company because you're lonely. He wants to send you help because as a man, you're stupid. But still there was no helper right for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. That sleep is called love. Because when you're in love, you're willing to sacrifice. And you don't even feel the sacrifices. It's like you're sleeping. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up all of the opening. Then the Lord God made it into a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man explained. Here it is. This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of a man. This explains why a man, say this with me, leaves his, leaves his and mother and is joined to his wife. Hey, it's great to have a great mom and daddy, but that's not who God's called you to spend the rest of your life mm-hmm. with. That explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two were united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Remember, shame would come after the fall. This is the first wedding. So can I give you a little pictorial journey of how we got started? Let me he tell you, these if pictures. you think she's this hot now, you should have seen then. I was a child. I cannot believe my parents signed off on that. (laughs) I I remember when when Michelle had just come back from Bible college. She graduated from school a year early, so she was still 17. And she was coming back at the end of her freshman year. And with all of her family, we'd gone 
to church and then we came back and they went off to Piccadilly. That was Piccadilly was the forerunner of Shoney's, which was the forerunner of Texas Roadhouse. And so Michelle went, she changed in her dress and she went and she came walking out. And for the first time, like, like I didn't see the little girl in the pigtails with the painter pants. And, and I remember looking at her and I, we were getting ready to walk to the car and I said, did, did you change your hair? And she said, no, why? And I went, um, are those different jeans? She said, no, why? And I went, just, just wondering. And I said to myself, my God, I'm a pervert. I'm looking at a girl that's been in my youth group since she was 12 years old. I am sick. I am a sick man. They write about people like me. They make TV series about youth pastors like me. And, and so literally, that's exactly how it happened. I started like every time I'd be praying and I'd see her in those Lee Ryder jeans from the back. I'm not lying. You, you want me to lie? You want me to tell the truth? Come on, New Iberia. You know you want the truth. Tabasco town. You don't take that, but the truth. And, and so I, I literally, I'd started rebuking. I rebuked the devil. I rebuked those Lee Ryder jeans and how good she looks in those things. And I and was so, clueless in it all. Let me just say she was, completely. but I wasn't. And, and finally, literally I started after about a week, I started calling my pastor and I said, Hey, I, I just got to share something with you. And he said, well, just keep that to yourself. And finally, after two weeks, I couldn't hold it anymore. So I was very close to her mother. So I called her and I said, Louise, how you doing? She said, well, fine, Jake. I said, well, you know, in just a couple of months, I'm going to be moving back to, to Texas where I came from. We're going to be shutting down the youth group and I'm going to be a youth pastor at the church that I came from. But, but I need to share something with you. She said, sure. I said, um, I, I like Michelle. She said, well, Jacob, Michelle likes you. I said, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I really like Michelle. And she said, Jacob, Michelle really likes you. I said, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. I want your daughter. <laughs> and she went, my God. <laughs> and then I thought again, you pervert, just like I thought. And, and, and she said, are, are you, I said, I, I've been trying to resist it. I know I've known her since she was 12. I know I remember when I first met her in the painter pants and the striped shirt. And I know she wasn't even like a real woman then. And then she grew up and she's gone to Bible college and everything. But, but as I'm leaving, I really feel like, like, like something's there. And her mother said, don't tell anyone. This is, this is a true story. You know, I always say God's stories are the best. And he always gives the best to those who leave the choice with him. And, you know, Pastor Jacob, I didn't say this in the last service, but Pastor Jacob, when he came to Lafayette, one of the first messages he told the youth group was, I will not try on people like you try on shoes. I'm not dating. I'm saving myself. This is my second virginity because I was such a mess before I became a Christian. And when I'm going to know when God brings me the right person. So for five years in the youth group, all these beautiful girls are sitting on the front row because he's the eligible guy, right? And he just stayed the course. But when God lifted that from Jacob, true story, at the same time, he, he was hosting like a youth camp. And that night he announced 
at the youth camp that, to us for the first time that he was going to be leaving Lafayette. So I was raised Catholic all my life. This was like a priest to me. So when he said he was leaving, like this is our church. We had a youth group, but it was like 150 people. And we were all crying. And I'm like, I came home. I was so upset. And my mom was like, what is the problem? And I'm like, Pastor Jacob made the announcement. He's leaving. Like he's leaving us. And she's like, okay. I'm like, nobody's leaving me. <laughs> like there's us and then there's me. And I'll never forget, we went in my bedroom and talked, and I promise y'all she did not give me a wink or a nod. If y'all know my mom, Mr. Jimmy, you know my mom. She doesn't play. And she took my hand, and we sat on the bed, and I started crying. I said, Mama, it's the first time that I realize I love Pastor Jacob. Like, I love Pastor Jacob. Like, I loved, and I named my first boyfriend, which I won't name. <laughs> For the record. Like, I thought I loved, right? And she got up and she walked and closed that bedroom door and pressed the lock key. You knew that was serious. And she goes, listen to me. I don't think this is the craziest thing in the world. But just don't tell another living soul what you just told me. Just pray about it. Okay. And then she went, called, and called me. She goes, Jacob, you're not going to believe And again, I'm clueless. You're not going to believe what just happened. I had told her the day before about my feelings for her. And she told me the same thing. Keep it to yourself. So I said, she told me what happened. I said, okay, we're having a meeting tonight. And after the meeting, I want to meet you and Mr. Brian for coffee. So we met at, for those of you old Lafayette people, we met at Pinhook, the pit grill, <laughs> where the elite meet to eat. And so we meet at the pit grill and, and, and Mr. Brian is just such a wonderful man of God, but such a funny, funny person. And we were sitting across from each other and, and Louise looks at me, her mom, and says, uh, Brian, Jacob has something he'd like to say. And I said, well, Miss Louise, is there anything you want to say? And she goes, no, no. And Mr. Brian said, laughing, he reached over, grabbed his coffee, said, what are you trying to do? Ask me for one of my daughter's hands in marriage? And I said, Yes, and he started shaking and coffee started spilling all over the table. But true story, my dad thought he was asking for my older sister's hand in marriage, who was his age. Never occurred to my dad it would be me. He didn't know a cougar was living in his... No, <laughs> not true. Not true. And so I, I said, I know this sounds crazy. I know I've known Michelle since she was 12 years old, but... I purpose not to date. I said, I'd never tell someone I love you till I could say, my next breath, will you marry me and meet with all of my heart? Those words are thrown around so lightly, I don't want to waste them. Those words are thrown around so lightly, I don't want to waste them. And so I said, I have every intention of marrying her with y'all's blessings, but I don't want to tell her, I just would like to start dating her. Is that okay? And Mr. Bryan said, Jacob, I want you to do whatever God wants you to do, son. And Miss Louise said, slow down, slow down. <laughs> and two days later, we went out on our first date. I had traveled all over the world speaking, so wherever I went, I would bribe all these gifts and say, whenever I meet the girl that I'm going to marry, I'm going to give her these things. So if you're single, write mental note. So I had all of these things 
And so we went out on our first date. I showed up with a dozen roses, a diamond necklace. After that, we went to my aunt's house where I was living, and I gave her like 10 presents. When he says 10 presents, he's like, this is crystal from Scandinavia. This is brass from India. It's true. This is china from London, it's England. This, and I'm it's like true. 17, and I'm like, well, thank you. That's so kind. Can we kiss? I mean, what do you do at hey, 17? I don't know. And y'all will be proud of your pastor. I kissed her like a man of God should kiss a woman. He's going to marry. That's true. Jesus of Nazareth, that was a good kiss. <laughs> and then a month later, two, three weeks later, I moved to Texas. She went on, finished her uh, last semester of Bible college. And that was in, I called a month later, asked if we could, I could propose. So we got engaged in July and then we were married 39 years and 25 days ago, January the 15th. And I can say the credit of our marriage goes to Jesus, her mom and dad who were incredible role models in her. Much like those of you who, and we have some coaches' wives here, I was gone 15 to 25 days a month while she was home raising our six children before we started the church. Five of them were boys, just for the record. One of them had to be beat three times a day, just for the record. I would have beat him by FaceTime had they had it during that time, but they didn't. Now, we've walked through some life together, guys. Our children, our oldest is 37. Our youngest is 19. We've walked through challenges in their marriages. We've walked through challenges in ours. We've walked through sicknesses. We've lost a 20-year-old child. Do you know that when people lose a child, 80% of those marriages end in divorce? Do you know why? Because one, when one person is not grieving, the other person is, and they end up reminding each other of the pain that they're going through. Today, we want to give you five keys, five principles that can help you stay married for at least 39 years and 25 days. That we know for sure. The first one is to play together. To play together. You know, if you misuse something, a lot of times it's because we don't understand the purpose of it. Do you know what the purpose of marriage is? You know what's scary about marriage? If you want to get a hunting license in Louisiana, you got to go to a three-weekend course. Mm. If you want to get a driver's license, you got to go through several years, several years or months, months of driver's school. If you want to get married, all you have to do is show up with a warm body that might be breathing. True. So many people get married, have never understood the purpose of marriage. What is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? And I want to share that with you. And I don't ever want you to forget. I want to give you a visual that you'll never forget. The purpose of marriage is God loved Michelle so much that he gave her to me so that he could show her how much he loved her through 
me. And God loved me so much that he gave me to her. Let's rejoice over that. (laughs) That he gave me to her so that he could show me how much he loves me through her. It's the total opposite of the way most people go into a relationship. They go into what they get instead of trying to choose a partner that you want to give the rest of your life to. So the first thing that you got to learn to do is play together. Say that with me. Play together. Play together. I was sitting across from uh, my daughter about six months ago. We were at a restaurant. It was just me and her, and she was just talking away. And I just started laughing my head off. And she said, why are you laughing? I said, your husband is going to have a blast. It's true. Remember when you were dating? What do you like about it? Oh, he's just so funny. He's just so much a personality. I mean, he just... Listen, life is too hard not to plan and make purposeful fun. Mm, 100%. The scripture says it like this, Proverbs 17, 22, a happy heart is good, what? Medicine. It's good what? Medicine. And a joyful mind causes healing. But a broken spirit does what? Dries up the bones. Dr. Jacob wants to write a prescription for your marriage. Start having fun. Start laughing. Can I tell you something about this beautiful woman right here? She is a blast. She is fun and she is funny. Very funny. I can't tell you everything that's funny. But she is fun and she is funny. But I come by it honestly, so I have four brothers and five sons. You have to have some humor in that, right? But I want to share this with y'all. You know, there's a scripture, one of my favorite scriptures says, those who run with the wise are wise. Those who run with the strong are strong. And I see it play out in marriages because we have a great marriage that we have worked really hard at cultivating. So consequently, the people that I surround myself with who are drawn to me are other women who have great marriages. Oddly, people who have unhealthy marriages usually attract Not what they want, but who they are. So they attract other unhealthy people around them in their marriages. Just mental note. But one of these girls who I love dearly is married to a surgeon. And occasionally will make plans and she'll have to cancel on me. So she'll call me like this and she'll be like, hey, listen, like my bad. Um, I just found out that Dr. Delicious is not going to be in surgery today. So me and Dr. Delicious are going to be hanging out together. And I'm like, well, that's fine. You go enjoy Dr. Delicious because me and the brown bishop are going to be hanging out together. And she's like, oh, my God. Okay, we'll talk about it later. (laughs) Words matter. Ladies, what do you say when your husband's not around? What do you call your husband? How do you speak about your husband? Do you speak about him like you're still passionately in love with him? Do you reference him in honor and romance? And guys, the same thing. How do you speak about your wife when she's not there on the job? Words matter. Even in play, make sure you adjust the verbiage because the actions will follow, I can assure you. You know, one of the things that first truly attracted me to the culture of South Louisiana is I was from Texas. 
And when I showed up at Michelle's house, all the girls got up and served the guys. I'm like, I've never seen this before. When Miss Louise spoke about Mr. Brian, it was like every, all the conversation was down here. And then she'd go, well, Mr. Well, Daddy said, or Mr. Brian said, do you know that the way you posture your mate, mm-hmm. other people are going to receive them and mm-hmm. posture them themselves? That's why the worst thing you can ever do is pick up the phone and complain about your mate to somebody who can't do anything about it to help them or to help you. And I say, and just one little add-on is I just say, you know, we're created in his image and his likeness. Okay, none of us are slaves. One of the greatest gifts he's given to all of us is we all have a free will. Everyone gets to choose who they want to spend this life with. So if you're someone who's already chosen and you're married... Enjoy the person you chose. Remind yourself, why did I choose this person? Refall in love with them. If you haven't yet chosen, choose well, because that is the biggest investment you will ever make in your whole life, is that one person. We get to choose. Here's the second together. The first one is play together. The second one is pay together. Come on, say it with me, pay together. Somebody has to pay if you want to play. That's what I say. Wait, and it's right. expensive, by the way. <laughs> True, right? When you are married, usually one of us is a spender and one of us is a saver. One of us is a spender, one of us is a saver. True. So in those circumstances, a lot of times people make you know, different rules they think that are true. Like men have like, the Bible says a woman ought to submit. I'm in charge of the checkbook because the Bible says a woman ought to submit. Well, let me just tell you this. Who I'm married to today is quite a different person from the person I married when she was 18 years old. As a matter of fact, when we got married, I gave Michelle a checkbook. It said, the check said, Reverend Jacob Aranza. That was cool. That's the way you got free checks. If you were a reverend, you got free checks at the bank. So it said Reverend Jacob Aranza. So I left to go out of town, which I was traveling, and something happened. Okay, pause. (laughs) Just pause. I was 18. Okay, we got married. Three weeks later, he's in Scandinavia somewhere. And all I know is I have a checkbook for the first time in my life with puppies That's how silly I was, okay? So I'm like financing the party. None of my friends are married but me. And he has a great job. So I'm like, hey, y'all want to go out to eat? Hey, y'all want to go to the movie? Hey, let's go shopping. He comes home six weeks later with a message from the bank president that says, Reverend Jacob Aranza, I need you to come to my office because your wife has 1,600 NSF charges that we need to discuss. He looks at me and goes, baby, what is this? And I'm like, I, clueless. I truly don't even, all I did was write checks. He goes, checks are not money. They're just checks. I'm like, well, then why do we have them? Like, what's the purpose? <laughs> He's like, oh my Lord. So he, the bank president was so gracious, he erased all of that, not because he even knew us, just as a favor, I guess, an act of kindness. He probably had a daughter. <laughs> so so I then he told has to him, sit with me and explain to me, this is how a check works. 
I told him I would explain it to her, True. and that would never happen again if he removed the $1,600 worth of NSF charges. He did, and I did. Why am I saying that? You know who handles all of our finances? She does. Now. She does. And she has for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I was gone 15 to 25 days a month. And here's what I'm saying to you. It is possible. Okay, you're, the person you married is not the person you're ultimately going to be married to. We're all growing. We're all learning. In process. And so many yes. times in a marriage, a mate makes a mistake and they get painted with that for the rest of their life. When in truth, you are helpers to each other. So you're going to help each other grow. So right now, she handles all of our money. And can I just say this to you? Because many of you have people that, you know, they handle all the money. I've I've done a number of of very serious critical funerals where someone was taken very young in life or young in marriage. If you are one that handles all of it, your mate at least needs to know the headlines. They can't be left in the dark. They can't be left in the dark. Mm -hmm. So whoever is more gifted in that needs to handle that. And many times it's not the man. In my case, the person more gifted to that, even though I help with all running all the church finances, is Michelle. So what must you do with your money so that it doesn't become something that divides you? First of all, there has to be agreement. If one is a saver and one is a spender, you have to come into agreement. Men love using the word submission. Submission's only necessary when two people don't agree. If we get an extra $500 and we both want to go to New Orleans and have a love fest... We don't have to submit. We both agree to that. But if I think I should save it, or she thinks we should save it, and I think we should go, then we have to come to a place of agreement. And listen to the rule. The person that carries the responsibility should have the final word. The person that carries the responsibility, that's their gifting, should have the final word. So agree together. Secondly, appropriate your finances. Put God first. Pay God, pay yourself, pay your bills, and create an emergency fund. We're going to be talking in the next few weeks. You're going to find out about small groups very shortly in a few weeks. And you're going to find out there's some groups. Many of you grew up like me. No one taught you about money. Your parents didn't teach you about money. And we have several Dave Ramsey certified teachers. Some are here, and they're going to be teaching classes that will help you set a budget and learn how to honor God with your money and how to budget and prepare for the future. Would something like that be good? Would you love being a part of something like that? So pay together. Here's the third one. Men, get ready. You've been waiting for this one. Lay together. Lay together. Ephesians 4.26 says this, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now read this with me. For anger gives a foothold. Gives a what? A foothold. Say it loud, ladies. Foothold. It gives a foothold to the devil. Listen carefully to me. We live in a world that is drenched with lust and immorality. Yes. If your husband is going to bed mad... then what is happening is there is anger and a foothold of the enemy that is being created in his heart. And trust me, you might not want to open up the door to romance in your life to him, 
But there are tons, tragically tons and tons of people with no standards, no morality, and no care for your husband or your family that are happy too. Miss Michelle could get a doctorate degree in this. As someone who lived on the road 15 to 25 days a month, and I would come home for three or four or five days and then head straight out again. And when I got home, kids were sick. Children need to be beat. I had a list. She needs to be beat. He needs to be beat. He needs to be grounded. He needs, you just come in and just proceed to beat and just line up. Somebody getting beat. Daddy's home. And so all of these different things Ladies, I want to tell you this. God only gave one woman in this world to your husband Mm. to meet every one of his physical needs. Only one. And it's you. It's you, baby. I would say, (laughs) baby, okay. No, I would say, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, but... Pastor Casanova's love language is called physical touch. My love language is called acts of service. So I say, baby, you know what is the sexiest thing in the world to me? A man with a vacuum cleaner in his hand just drives me like crazy. I go all crazy about that, right? You know what drives me crazy? A man cleaning out the garage. Nothing sexier than that, okay? That's what fills my love tank. But that's not what fills his love tank. And I can promise y'all this. In this, I get an A on my report card. I have to say that. I don't always get an A, but in this department. Do I always feel like this? No. With five children, all boys pulling on you the whole time he's gone, and daddy comes home and he pulling on you? No. But you know what? I had enough wherewithal and enough sense to know that I am the only person to meet those needs for my husband. And he has never once left to take a trip, even when I could have ripped his head off about some other issue where I sent him out wanting, never once. Because I knew that that was a principle. And for me, when I'm, this is free for the girls, when I'm just not feeling it, okay, I treat it like a discipline. Guess what? I don't always feel like brushing my teeth, washing my face, taking my vitamins, working out, eating healthy, but I do it. We all do it. So just put it on your little discipline list when you're not feeling like it and go, okay, this is just one of the things in my day that I get to do. It means the world to him. And I'm telling you, it's like putting a padlock on your door against the enemy. Your husband will not sway if he's being met at home. 100% has always worked for 39 years and 25 days thus far. I will keep y'all posted when we get to 40. In one survey, half of marriages ended in divorce over boredom. Boredom. How many remember when you were dating? Raise your hand. Do you remember when you were dating? Come on. Okay. Are the rest of you, has it been that long? <laughs> How many remember when you were dating? Raise your hand. How many remember when you couldn't wait to call them? How many remember before cell phones? Okay, and you had that long cord and you were stuck around like in a closet. Like, I mean, that cord just was wrapped around and you were like, hey, what are you doing? And everybody's beating on the door. We want the phone too. We want the phone too. Shut up, I'm in love. And you're back there crouched down. How many remember those days? How many ever fallen asleep talking on the phone? Why did you fall asleep? I know, but I could hear you snoring and it made me feel close to you. Okay, now they start snoring and you go, go to the other bedroom. 
to listen carefully to me. If you worked half as hard on being as creative now after you're married as you did trying to be creative to be with each other before you were married, your marriage would live with heat and romance for the rest of your life. So true. So, keep dating your mate. Keep dating your mate. Life is way too hard not to enjoy dating each other. Michelle and I have historically for years, we'll get away, turn off the phone, okay? When we have a lot of young children, they're out there, we just like throw Cheerios out there and lock the door. Ah, shut up, we're making more. <laughs> Leave us alone. No, but to this day, okay, so we have adult, like we said, our oldest child is 37, our youngest is 19, so we often, y'all don't know this, but sub-30, youth, junior high, all of that is kind of being built out of our house right now, because Joseph, our third son, is over that department. So we'll walk in, he'll be in meetings, I'll be in meetings, we'll walk in, and there's just a bunch of people there who we don't even really hardly know. But there's pizza everywhere, there's kids everywhere, and my husband literally will just pause and look at me, and I know what it means, right? He just comes and goes, hey guys, hey. He walks in the bedroom, my phone starts, zzz, zzz, zzz. Come back. He goes, he goes, you want to go to the camp? I'm like, is that a trick question? He goes, no, I'm dead serious. I'm like, done check. Bye. Peace out, children. Turn the lights off. Don't burn the house down. That's just part of keeping it fresh. Keep it fresh. If we can do it with six children, y'all can do it. Come on. It's not rocket science. Go ahead. You can clap, man. Go ahead. You want to clap? Men sitting there going, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Here is the next one. Number four. Pray together. Now look right here because I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to think I'm lying when I tell you the statistic, but it's true. How many of you would like to do something, one act that would take less than five minutes a day that would divorce-proof your marriage till you die? Quit the rest of you, what are you planning on? Do, do, you, do you know that you, there is one thing you can do? Let me give you the statistic. How many marriages end in divorce? Does anyone know? If... If 10 people get married, how many end up ultimately get divorced? Five. Second marriages, 60%. Third marriages, 70%. Fourth marriage, you just keep going up the list, escalating. Now remember what I'm going to tell you. Suppose you could do one thing that would take less than five minutes that would guarantee that you wouldn't be in the 50% or the 60% but that you would be in the percentage of one out of every 1,500. Less than one thousandths of one percent. From 50% to less than one thousandths of one percent. That's divorce-proofing your marriage. How many of you would want to do that? Raise your hand. Do you know what it is? Pray. We've always heard it like this. The family that prays together, stays together. But it's really much deeper than that. It's not the words. It's not the words. It's not the Our Father or it's not the Spirit-filled prayer. You know what it is? It's not the words or the prayer itself. It's inviting the presence of God himself. It invites his presence in. For 
39 years, we probably have not missed 25 days, whether I was on the road or not on the road. The end of every day, me taking her by the hand or calling her on the phone, Lord, we pray for Jacob, Amy, Lily, Christian, Alex, Eli, Finley, Kate, baby Shiloh, Joseph, Rochelle, John Wesley, Wesley who's in your arms, Timothy Haddon, Amberly Grace. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. We pray the angels of the Lord surround them. Thank you for the beautiful princess you've given me to do life with. And then when some of you are in crisis, a big crisis, then we pray for you. It's not the words. We invited God to be a part of this. You know what that means? I can't go to bed bitter and angry. God, help this woman listen to me and be the wife to me. You know I need. You invite God's presence. You invite God's presence. Do you know what the chief thing that is the the chief thing that happens before people get divorced? They did a study of a thousand people that got divorced, and the final emotional definition was resentment. They just resented. You know what the word resent means? To relive. Say that, to relive. To relive. How many like crawfish? Have you ever ate good crawfish and then that night belched? Okay. And you taste. You know what happens when you won't forgive? You keep belching up the memory. Look what they did. 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 It's real hard to do that when you're saying, Lord Jesus. And he's going, yes, I am Lord. Lord, because the first person you got to talk to God about is you. You. I just, one of the passages that I wrote down that I think of when I think of praying together, and it's a, it's a familiar passage, it's out of Ecclesiastes, but it reminds us that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So number one for profit. If either of them falls, the other can help them up. But So that's protection. But pity the one who falls alone and has no one to help them. Also, if, if two lie down together, the other will keep them warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though you be overpowered, you can defend yourselves. And yet a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. When we pray, we invite a reinforcement into the fragility of who we are as humans. We are fully human, and yet he is fully God. When we pray, it's as though our humanity collides with his divinity, and reinforcements have just come in to help us, to protect us, to provide for us, and to comfort us. That's what it means to me when we pray together. Oftentimes I've said to men, do you pray with your wife? I go, Pastor, I, I just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I go, have you ever cussed at her? Guess what they said? Not to her face. <laughs> Look at me. Have you ever taken your clothes off in front of her? If you can curse her, then you can bless her. And if you can take your clothes off, then you can open up the sincerest prayer. Listen, God's not looking for flowery words. It may be in our Father. That's okay. 
You just invite him in. He'll keep your heart soft. And I want to say this to men and women. There is not a human being alive that can keep your mind and heart pure. Only God can. Only God can. Only he knows every thought that goes through your mind and every seed that you let germinate in your heart. Only God can do that. I don't care how good of a wife you are. I don't care how good of a husband you are. You need God to wash and cleanse your heart. Hey, by the grace of God, I don't know a better wife than Michelle. I I say that in the fear of the Lord. Okay, by God's mercy and grace, we have the best marriage of anybody I know, and there are people here that have known me through every step of our journey of 30 or 40 years here. But only God can keep this mind and this heart pure and this word right here. And I want to say this last thing before Pastor Jacob lands this plane. Because I look out at your faces and I think, you know, I, I, we have a great marriage. I feel like I won the brown lottery. I really do. Though a lot of investment has gone into this relationship. And so I get to reap a lot of return. You only get the return if you make the investment. But there is a passage that I've been thinking about for three days, and it's a common passage, but I never saw the other side of it. The passage that says, when you're faithful and little, God will give you more, right? Everyone, if you're faithful and little, it's a principle, God will give you more. So you be faithful in your marriage. But the rest of that passage says, but if you're, this is the same passage, but if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And when I was praying for y'all before today's service, the thought came to me, I don't know where you are in your marriage. If you heard today's message and you went, man, we're not doing good. That's okay. Just be honest and say, we're not doing good. Just that is growth. Just put that on the table. Okay, now that we've both acknowledged we're not doing good, what are we going to do to do good? We have counselors. We have marriage small groups. You get in relationship, those who run with the wise or wise. Find people who have healthy marriages and change your friend group. Change your mindset. You do the hard work. You make the investment. This is the greatest investment of your life. If you invest wise, I promise you will reap well. But our final one is stay together. Stay together. Can I tell you something about life that you won't learn till you at least get 50 years old? First of all, what do you think till death do you part means? I think it means till death do you part. Some people think that means I'll kill that. No, that doesn't what that means. But do you know what? Duration brings appreciation. It's, life is about seasons. There's going to be winters and summers and springs and falls. There's going to be times when it's hard and times when it's amazing. That's all of life. And the same thing is true in here. It's true in here. It doesn't get really good until time gets really long. 
That's why 39 years of marriage, it's better than it's ever been before. The Bible says the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter like the noonday coming. And And it will get better for you. And he's serious. And I'll say this just in a practical example. You know when you're young married, you know, you go to dinner with friends and you're kicking your husband on the table because he's saying the wrong things. Like, baby, don't say that. Or you go, baby, don't do that. Like, you're both raising each other. We got married young, so you, like, raise each other. Today, that man can walk in the back of this building and I can get a side glance and I know exactly what he means. Because you just, duration. You just know one another. The two really do become one. It does get better and better and better. Today, as we close, Jesus is the only one. Marriage is a spiritual relationship, and it's only when you build on the spiritual foundation of the Word of God and you're spiritually alive will it last. Don't be surprised when Madonna's unhappy. Don't be surprised when the latest, whoever it is, okay, it was Madonna in the 80s, it's Taylor Swift, it doesn't matter. They're building on the sand and it's going to crumble. It's not a matter of if it's going to crumble, it's simply when is it going to crumble. Can I tell you what our goal is? To be those old people that you see walking through the mall. To be 70 and 80 years old holding hands just like this and knowing time didn't destroy us kids didn't destroy us disappointment didn't destroy us the loss of a child didn't destroy us and you discovered two great principles united we're undefeated and if we don't quit we win with God every time Do you know why we're here today? You've heard me tell a little my story and her story. Michelle's mother and father started dating when they were in elementary school at Cathedral Carmel in downtown Lafayette. He went to the boys' part, she went to the girls' part, and they would meet each other at mass and flash eyes at each other. They grew up, got married early, 18, 19 years old, had seven children. And as the pressures of life grew, her father being an only child, a hard father, the pressures on him grew. And the only way that he could cope was with alcohol. He was a salesman on the road for Schick Razor. And so when things got so difficult, his alcoholism got so bad, Miss Michelle's mom, Miss Louise, took all the children and moved over to her sisters. They were advising her to divorce him. He went to Mass every day of his life, praying that he could get free from alcoholism. And one day, separated from his family, was driving down university, and a little church like ours began. And he walked in, and he said, could I talk to somebody? I go to Mass every day. I have a wife and seven children. I'm separated from them, and I can't get free from alcohol. And a pastor took him into a room, prayed with him to be born again, laid hands on him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That day, he went and told Miss Louise, brought her back to that same place that night when they were having a meeting. She was born again. 
God reunited their marriage. Three of their children are in full-time ministry. All of their children are serving the Lord. All of their grandchildren are serving the Lord. And most of their children and grandchildren are active in full-time Christian service. What was the difference? The same difference is what changed me. Is the same difference of what changed her. Even coming from a great family, they needed Jesus to be the difference. He's the difference. He's the only rock you can build on that won't move when everything else in life collapses, and it has in 2020, and it will in the future as well. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the amazing people that are here today. First, I pray for all the singles that are here. Some who even as we speak in their mind are yearning for something. Some you've called to a life of singleness and finding their identity in you. And some you've called for a season of preparing themselves of being secure and sufficient in you till you bring their name. And then we pray for the many that are married but lonely. That have recognized these five pillars we talked about. Some of them are absent from their lives. Lord, we know that none of this can happen unless we're born again and you are spiritually living inside of us because marriage is a spiritual union. We pray for every person here. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Have you been born again? Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor to be born again in a junior high school. That day, the old Jacob died, and a new one was raised from the dead. I've had good days since that day, and I've had bad days spiritually since that day, but I've never been the same since that day. I became spiritually alive that day. My sins were forgiven. Christ came to live inside of me. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. How can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either he did or you will. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me today? Today, I need to be born again, single or married, young or old. I need to be born again. I need to surrender my life to Christ. I've never done that. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you, and I'm just going to pray for you. I'm the only one looking. No one else is. And I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. And by raising your hand, you're simply saying, Pastor, I want to be born again today. I've never prayed to be born again. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, God brought you here. It's not an accident. Two, every circumstance of your life has led to this moment. You can't live life without God. 
and ever become what you were created to be or know the person who loves you the most. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Yes, I see your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. High. Thirteen. Fourteen. Fifteen. Sixteen. You can put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these sixteen, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know this is what I need. I know this is why I'm here. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If that's you, if you didn't raise your hand, but you should have, raise it now and wave it at me. And join these 16. Wave it at me. 17. Wave it at me. 18. 19. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud. All of those of you that raised your hand, we're going to pray out loud with you. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.